Well, um, we're continuing on in, uh, in the book of Acts, and uh, you see the topic today is planting. Um, yeah, enough said that I'm talking about planting. I, as I spend most of my time working on church planting, so uh, it's probably no wonder that Andy thought it was a good week for him to be away and let me do this. So um, we'll see. We're picking up, though, in, in, uh, in this uh, sort of in the book of Acts as we've going along. And just as a, a bit of a reminder, a few weeks ago, we started, we were talking about the church in Antioch. And uh, we had noticed, we were talking about the fact that um, a couple of men had gone to Antioch and began to preach the gospel. The only thing is they didn't know that they weren't supposed to preach to Gentiles. And they started preaching to Gentiles and Gentiles started to come into faith. And that caused a, a major stir in the city. And, and when that stir started happening in the city, the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas up there to see what was going on. And, and Barnabas went up and, and actually said, what's happening here is great. And he joined in and started preaching to Gentiles. And even more people started coming to faith. And after a little while, he went and got Saul, Paul by another name, and, and brought him to Antioch. And, and since that time, they were in Antioch together um, as part of the team leading the church there. And today we pick up that uh, in that life and in that ministry, they, it seems, we, we don't know if it was the whole church or just sort of the leaders, uh, a group of leaders from the church, but they had set aside a time for prayer and fasting and worship. And in the middle of that time for sort of prayer and fasting, um, the Lord spoke to them and said, set aside Paul and Barnabas. I have something for them to do. Now, Pippa, you're getting ready to lead a day of sort of prayer and fasting coming up in September. So if you're like looking for something to do, go into the day of prayer and fasting. Who knows? You might be sent out from there. I don't know. But things happen when we set aside time for prayer and fasting. And so they set aside Paul and Barnabas. Now, in a way, that's pretty amazing. I mean, these were the people sort of in the midst of a church sort of exploding in growth and, and, and all sorts of things happening. These were sort of the guys that were brought in to help oversee and, 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 and encourage all of that along. And, it, and it's the very people that sort of were brought in to help that are now being sent out. Something new is on store for Paul and Barnabas. And so they get sent out on this what we now call oftentimes Paul's first missionary journey. There's going to be three times we're going to read through the book of Acts of Paul going out on these missionary journeys where he goes out and just begins to preach and tell people about Jesus. And so Paul and Barnabas set out on this journey. And uh, the first place they go to uh, is uh, Cyprus. It's actually Barnabas' home. This is where Bar Barnabas is going back home, going to the place that he grew up. And, uh, and so they return to Cyprus and they begin to go from town to town in Cyprus. Now, here's the thing. Throughout all of this journey, a clear pattern develops. They go into the city. They first go to the synagogue. They preach in the synagogue and they begin to share about Jesus. And sometimes that's warmly welcomed, and sometimes not so much. But regardless of what happens in that, whether it's sort of well-received or not, the next thing that they happen is after they go and preach in the synagogue and teach there, they go out to the streets and they begin to just share with anybody who will listen this message of Jesus. 
So they're sharing with the Jews first and then also with all the Gentiles. And you know what? Every time they share, something happens. <laughs> now, sometimes it's, um, well, we read a little bit. Sometimes it's people begin to be healed and, and uh, sort of things sort of take off with fervor. Sometimes it's actually incredible resistance. Sometimes, in fact, we did because we just read sort of portions of this, there are places where it's actually demonic resistance, where there's sort of a, a clear spiritual battle. Uh, in one place, Paul has an encounter, and, and um, they're about ready to actually sort of the, the, the king is, is about ready to come to faith, and, uh, but he has this trusted counselor who begins to resist, and, uh, and, and so Paul actually confronts him confronts the evil spirit within him as well and, and says, basically says, you're going to be mute. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden this trusted counselor goes mute and he can't say anything. And that kind of gets everybody's attention and they realize, wow, this guy has authority, power. And, and they all come to faith. And then as people come to faith, Paul does something. He we see actually, again, through prayer and fasting, they have a time of prayer and fasting, and they set aside people to lead that group. They've planted a church. They've started a new community, a new worshiping community. They started, and, and then Paul leaves behind some elders to lead that church, and he goes on to the next place, and he repeats it again and goes on again and again and again and again until they go from Cyprus and then they go back over to what sort of modern day Turkey and they do a, a sort of a, a swing through there and then they make their way back and finally at the end of this first journey they come back to Antioch and they report back to the church. We're back. <laughs> Let's tell you about what's happened. They've just been doing simple things. Telling people about Jesus and starting new churches. Forming them into communities. It's church planting. It's been actually the way the church has grown all throughout the ages. In, uh, in England, in, or in, in Britain, um, the sort of first major sort of big waves, there were, there were believers and Christians early on in, in England, and, or not in England, but in, in Britain on the island. But, but there were two sort of major moves of church planting and, and evangelism that took place in the 5th and 6th centuries. The first started in the north. The first started with the Celts. Uh, St. Patrick set aside a guy uh, by the name of St. Columba. Well, he wasn't called St. Columba at the time. He was just Columba. But we call him now St. Columba. And, uh, and he went to Iona and founded a, a community in Iona. And from Iona, yes, Iona, right there, Iona. We didn't, no, you don't look a day over 35. <laughs> Who knew? They founded this community in Iona, and Iona then went into what is now Scotland, and they began to evangelize. And they had a really clear sort of methodology and a model that they would use. They would, they would go in, and as they, they would find a, a village or a community, and, and they, would, they would sort of start right on the outskirts of that community. They would go right to the edge of town, and they would start sort of a, a monastery there. But unlike the monasteries that took place sort of in Egypt and other places around the world where, um, where the, the, the folks in monastic life and religious life were trying to escape the rest of the culture and trying to get away from everything else so that they could sort of be with God, the, the Celts sort of started this monastery and then they opened the gates and said to everybody, come on in. 
In fact, you need to, why don't you come in and you can buy some things here and, 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 and arts and, you know, crafts and pottery and all sorts of things and, and music and all those sort of, it took, these, these monasteries had sort of a, a cultural life of themselves and, and the people of the community would sort of go in there and as they went in to do business and they went in to, you know, participate in all the activities and things, they heard the message of Jesus. And it's interesting, if we go back to those, those communities and those towns and villages, you see, you, we can look and see how they grew. The town and village was sort of like here, and then off on the edge, they would plant this, this monastic community. And over time, guess what? The center of the city moved from here to here. So it sort of, it's like all started, all the growth began to be around them because that all of a sudden now, Christianity had taken hold and became the lifeblood of the community. And so the Celts had come in from the north and begun sort of moving south through, uh, through Britain and, uh, at the end, towards the end of the, of the 5th century. And in the 6th century, the beginning of the 6th century, uh, the, a guy by the name of St. Augustine, he was, he was a Benedictine monk and, and he was outside of Rome. And Pope Gregory said, um, there, as I said, there had already been Christians, a few Christians and things in, in Britain. And he said, it's time that we actually be really intentional. We need to go to Britain and we need to, to evangelize and, and take the people the message of Jesus. And so the Pope, Pope Gregory sent Augustine. And Augustine came to, from the south. And Augustine had a very different model. Augustine, in, would, did, he would go right to the heart of the city not just to the heart of the city, but he would go to those people that were influ of influence. He went to the king and to the people around the king and, and the people of, you know, sort of the, the, the people of influence in the city. And, and he would take the message of Jesus to them. And as he would seek their conver uh, conversion and, and tell them about Jesus, then he would ask them for a place right in the middle of the city. And he would start a church right there, a minster, and, and from there, then, activities would go on, and, and the city was the center of all the activity, and then they would go out from there. And so from the north, you had the Celts coming down, and from the south, you had, uh, you had uh, Augustine and the, and the Romans moving north as the island began to be evangelized. Now, if you read church history and know much about it, eventually those two models kind of come into a bit of conflict, as, as it would happen. And... Uh, and and the establishment from Rome always wins the day. <laughs> uh, and so uh, the Roman model sort of became the, the model over time. But that's how Britain was evangelized. We can start to go just all throughout history, wave of wave of different times when that same sort of thing, evangelization and church planting, just begin to take place here in Britain and around the world. Because that's actually how the church grows. The question might be today, but why do we church plant today? Especially if you think about England, you might say, well, why would we church plant today? I mean, we have a, Church of England has a great system. Every inch of land, every square inch, square centimeter of land is covered by a church. There is a church and there is a vicar and there is somebody who has cure of souls over that and sort of should be like, well, you know what? The job was sort of done a long time ago, so why should we be bothering with that now? Haven't we already done that? The only thing is, we may have a lot of churches, and we may have sort of things covered in one respect, 
But if the purpose is for us is to reach people with the message of Jesus, we don't live in a time and a place where we've reached people with the message of Jesus. In fact, it doesn't matter. I'm not talking Church of England, but Christian of any sort, whatever sort, whatever you know, denomination, whatever group, Protestant or Roman Catholic, doesn't even matter. About 8% of people in England would identify themselves and show activity as being Christian. In other words, would self-identify as a Christian and would be participating regularly in worship and those sorts of things. 8%. I'm not great with math, but I think that leaves 92% that, that aren't interacting with the faith. And it would be a time maybe, you know, decades ago when we could say, well, yeah, but all those people have sort of had an opportunity. But today, actually, most of those people, a good percentage of those people, actually have, do not understand or have never really heard the basic core things of message of the gospel. I mean, they know, may know that, you know, at a royal wedding, uh, you know, a bishop shows up and maybe even preaches a fiery sermon if you bring them from somewhere else or whatever. But, you know... But they wouldn't really know what the real message is. And so there is a move afoot to begin to say, we've got to plant. We've got to actually reach out and begin to re-evangelize our nation. And that's actually beginning to happen, remarkably beginning to happen. I've probably shared this there's certain things I don't even remember who and when I've shared things with, so some of you may have heard some of this, but um, about seven years ago, there was a, a gathering from, you know, any of the diocese in the Church of England who wanted to get together and sort of talk about this idea of evangelism and growth and church planting, and, and a whole group of, of diocese got together, and, and when they got together in the room, they uh, looked around and sort of said, okay, who has any, a plan for how, about how we might grow the church and how we might evangelize and how we might, you know, reach out, and, and at that point in time, there were two dioceses out of like 44 that had any sort of plan whatsoever. And then in, in 2013, um, the Diocese of London put on in their uh, plans for the years ahead a goal of, of starting 100 new worshiping communities in the Diocese of London. That was sort of really unheard of at the time. Who, who would do such a thing? <laughs> but you see, it would become convinced that Actually, the way we reach new people and the way we grow the church and the way the church ought to be doing things is actually by starting new things. And so the Diocese of London said, let's do this, 100 new worshiping communities. And again, it was sort of a shocking sort of thing. Wow, that's really aggressive. And why would we need 100 new churches? Today, five years later, All those dioceses now that had gathered and only two of them had plans to even do anything, now the vast majority, not just the vast majority, but at least two-thirds of them or more have active plans about how they're going to grow and evangelize and plant new churches to the tune that just a few months ago sort of we recognized that if you take all those plans together of all those dioceses together in the Church of England, 
for the, in the next 10 to 15 years, there's intentional plans to try and start about 2,500 new churches. 2,500 new churches. The, the, uh, the, the, the House of Bishops for the Church of England actually just published a paper just about a month ago saying that it needed to become the norm of the Church of England to start new churches and new communities of faith because there's a recognition that this is actually how you grow the church. This is actually the way church growth is done. It's actually the way we reach new people. There's a guy by the name of C. Peter Wagner uh, was, um, and he was a missiologist, somebody who studies the mission of the church. And uh, he puts it this way, planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic method known under heaven. That's a pretty clear statement, isn't it? Church planting is the most effective evangelistic method known under heaven. And then just sort of full stop. Some of you will have heard of Tim Keller. Tim Keller puts it this way. The vigorous, continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for one, the numerical growth of the body of Christ in any city, and two, this is what we may not recognize oftentimes, and two, the continual corporate renewal and revival of the existing churches in the city. Nothing else, not crusades, outreach programs, parachurch ministries, growing megachurches, congregational consulting, nor church renewal processes will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. It's an eyebrow-raising statement, but to those who have done any study at all, Tim Keller says, it's not even controversial. <laughs> it's just the way it is. You see, church planting is not only the method to reach those who don't know Jesus and to take the message to them, but it's actually the way we renew ourselves. It's the way that sort of new life happens in any church. Because as soon as we commit to church planting, as soon as we go to start to go down that trail, guess what starts to happen? Things like we saw, what? Paul and Barnabas are set aside and they're sent out. Can you imagine what that meant to the church in Antioch to send Paul and Barnabas out? We don't really know. We don't sort of hear this part of the story. But my guess is probably not long after they sent Paul and Barnabas out, they started saying, um, okay, we need some more help here. And they began to identify some new leaders in the church and say, we need, we need, we, would, would you be, what? I, my guess is they had some more prayer meetings and started to lay hands on some other people and set them aside for things that needed to happen. And people were raised, raised up. That's what typically happens over and over and over again. As some, one group of people are sent out, another group gets raised up into new positions of leadership and new things. And then what happens as soon as that begins to happen, it, it stirs up new life in us. Things that, uh, you know, two weeks ago we thought, oh, that's sort of theirs to do. And I, you know, that, that just goes on. And then all of a sudden, they're gone. Well, wait a minute, maybe God's calling me to do something. Maybe, and maybe now, and, and as soon as we rise up to this new thing, guess what? It, it requires a new sense of us pressing in further in faith to the Lord. And we begin to be changed by it. We kind of saw that last week if you were here. I mean, Jack, we sent Jack off a few weeks ago to go plant a church down, uh, down south in Southampton. 
And, uh, and so it's sort of summer and, and uh, Ruth's been leading worship, but then Ruth went on holiday and every other worship leader in all of London, guess what, is either had a gig last Sunday or was out on holiday. And so what did we say? Simon? Why? Because all of a sudden, whoa, we don't have any. I'm sorry, we didn't have anybody else but Simon. <laughs> what is that? New life happens. Everybody goes, hey, we didn't know Simon could leave worship. Simon's like, hey, I didn't know. No, it's not that. <laughs> what? New life starts to happen. Revitalization starts to happen. It's, it's sort of like having kids, isn't it? I mean, we think as parents, like, our, our job is to shape and to form our children, you know? And, and I think somewhere along the line of parenting, um, at some point it probably dawns on us that as much as we've been shaping and forming them, we've been being shaped and formed and transformed in the process. And we're sort of different people at the end. And then they go out and get all sorts of crazy ideas and things, and then it, like, things have to change in the family to incorporate the new, the, the new changes that begin to happen. And, and then all of a sudden they go off, and then new, now new family members get added in. And, and, it, and what? New life gets formed. That's why we church plant. That's why we church plant. Because there's 92% of the people in the world around us that don't know the name of Jesus, don't, aren't followers of Jesus aren't actively participating in all that he has. We want to reach those people, and, but we also know in going out and reaching them that something happens in us and we're transformed and we're made new. That's why we started the French Connect. It's why we're sending Jack off to just go and do a church plan, do something new. And I don't know, who knows what will happen after a day of prayer and fasting we're expecting great things. We're, who knows what, what the Lord will have in store. But you know what? It's not something we need to be threatened about. It's actually something we celebrate and we begin to say, actually, no, this is when new things start to happen. This is, what, this is life. This is growth. This is God on the move. Well, as I said earlier, I spend a lot of time working on church planning, so, so you can kind of chalk this one off to, well, what else would H say? <laughs> but I just want to encourage us today, really a couple of just things. One is, um, be praying. Pray for those who are out planting churches and doing new things. The thing is, when we engage in reaching new groups of people, we recognize that we, there, we have to do some things in new ways. And it's a new set of challenges. Paul and Barnabas faced all kinds of challenges and all sorts of adjustments have to be made along the way. So pray for those who are out and part of church planting teams. The second thing is I would just say don't feel threatened by it. There's no need to feel threatened that church planting is going on. It is the way that life happens and gets revitalization. It's health. It's actually a really good sign of health. And then thirdly, I just think, I'm not saying next month or next week, but I think over time the attitude and the spirit in the heart of St. Barnabas has always been, and I think will continue to be one, of sending out. And I just wonder if some of you in a time in the weeks and days and years ahead 
will have a stirring that maybe you're being set apart to go do something new. Maybe God will call you to step out in a new and a fresh way. Be open, be willing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're the giver of life. We thank you for those that are out there actively planting and we do just again pray for for Jack and and this team in Southampton, Lord. We we pray that as they prepare to, uh, to launch their new service next month, we just ask that they would meet with you in an incredible way. We pray that that church would be just a light to that city and, uh, and bring just a new, fresh wave of what it is that you're doing in their midst. Lord, we thank you for French Connect. We thank you for those people who have already had their lives changed and influenced through this new service here. We pray that we would, you would just continue to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the things that you're doing and show us how we participate in that. And Lord, we do come to times of, particularly times of corporate prayer and times of prayer and fasting. We come with an expectation, an expectancy, Lord, that you're going to meet with us, that you're going to speak to us. Lord, it may even be a bit disruptive in our lives. But we know that it brings new life. It brings new hope. It expands your kingdom. And so we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come do your work in us and through us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.